podcast with a wedgie that is oh it's a front one too Ooh, you got a wedgie you've never in front experienced butt? that no <laughs> <laughs> i have not <laughs> on that note <laughs> welcome welcome to the duke and duchess podcast uh welcome oh goodness all right so this is episode 11 Woohoo! you know what we do in episode 11 don't you yes i do oh no, I don't. <laughs> no, you do. We, we read Wise Man's Fear. Yes. The Wise Man's Fear. Yes. Coming to a theater near you. I'm pretty excited. It's exciting. It's good stuff. So, all right, so do the spoiler policy stuff so we can right, talk about idea. the book. Well, first, first, who are you? I'm the Duchess. What, yes, you are. Am I? Yes. You can be whatever you want to be, baby. Yes. We're past all that. Okay. Past all that. We moved on. I don't know. We started a new book. Oh, good point. Do you want to bring out all the old arguments? I mean, no, no. <laughs> God, no. Let's just <laughs> let's roll through it. All right. And I'm the Duke. I'm Chad. All right. So, spoiler policy. The basics of it is this that I have not read these books. Elizabeth has read these books. And so we are not going to spoil anything up to the part we have read which means that Name of the Wind is completely open for spoilers because we're going to talk about that stuff. Correct, yes. So there'll be spoilers for Name of the Wind um, and Wise Man's Fear up through whatever the current chapter is. Um, we have not read um, The Slow Regard of Silent Things. No. So no. no spoilers for that, even though chronologically I know that that falls somewhere in the same time frame as Wise Man's Fear. But um, we are not going to talk about anything that happens in that book yet. Yeah, I was told that it happens, or at least in theory, it's supposed to happen after this book. But what do I know? Chronologically, it happens during the same time. The frame. same time, basically, as Wise Man's Fear. It's kind of what or, um, Ari is off doing gotcha. while she's not hanging out with Quoth. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that as well. All right. So we are reading chapters one through five. Mm -hmm. And what are we going to read next week? Next week, we're going to do five through ten. Or six through ten. Six through ten. I mean, I'll read five again if you if want you to. If you want to read it again, you can. But <laughs> six through ten. All right. Fantastic. So shall, shall we start it off? Yes. Yeah, so Why do I feel like we're skipping something? I, maybe because we're just getting so good at this. Ooh, that could be. It could be. It's possible. It's just flowing so smoothly. It's like a <laughs> river running downhill. Ah, uh, there you go. So, so, what did you think? What do you think? What do you think so far? It's hard to give me give you a real good answer to that question because I felt like this is like um, it's like fantasy blue balls. I, I felt like we got right up to a point where something interesting was going to happen, and then we had to stop reading. Right. Well, which is you know. So what happens when you're not reading 150 pages at a time, you know? It's true. And and that and that's okay. So no, I mean, there are a few things that I that I gleaned out of this section of chapters, but a lot of it was getting back into the world, doing a little bit more of the stage setting, kind of framing you back into what 
it was that we're talking about, reintroducing some characters, and then we kind of just get the ball rolling, you know, and I feel like that's going to actually start happening in chapters 6 through 10. Yes. Yeah, I get that. Confession time. I don't think I've even told you this story. I love when confession (laughs) time comes around. (laughs) It's... The I'm most building it up to be more, building it up to be more than more than it is. Huh. But after last week, like we stopped recording and you went to bed and and fell asleep pretty soon. I stayed awake until like two thirty in the morning <laughs> because I turned to the, I opened this book and I read the first fifteen chapters. I couldn't stop. Like I wasn't even taking notes. I was just like paging through to make sure I knew which, you know, that we were going to stop at the parts I wanted us to stop at. And Mm -hmm. I I could not put it down. So I don't know how you did it after. I don't know how you stopped at chapter five. Well, I'm like ironclad control. I'm very disciplined. (laughs) Just ask me. (laughs) I couldn't do it. I could not stop. And then I was really sad the next day because I had to go on four hours of sleep. Yeah. And that was a hell of a week to try and do that. Yeah. So not wise. Bad well, decision making when it comes to books. Well, it may not be wise, but is it something that perhaps a wise man might be afraid of? <laughs> All right, let's 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 get this show going. It is too late for puns. <laughs> Too late for bad puns. So we start off with the prologue. Yes, we do. And um, I don't know what did you what did you notice about the prologue this time through? Uh, my notes say charming as always. The only thing I the only other kind of comment I had is uh, I wrote down a little question, and I say, does this show that despite a day of being quoth again, that nothing has really changed because we jump right back into it? What are you doing? You oh my. Goodness, podcast listeners, you'd not know what's actually going on here. Do you want to lay that pun on me again? I forgot it now. Okay. Do you have another one you want to lay on? I said, uh, oh, I can't remember. (laughs) I don't pun on on command. pun on demand. I'm not. It's too late for me to pun on command. All right, it I'll wouldn't. I'm. I'm just afraid I won't be very punny. Ah, oh. <laughs> to practice that, I'm not a drummer. Oh, spontaneous <laughs> spare drum or snare drum. It's, a, it's harder than it looks, you guys. Well, to do it one-handed with a microphone with your bare hand. <laughs> That's not a bad first attempt. All right. We'll keep them coming throughout the I'll, throughout I'll, the podcast. Give you opportunities I'll, to I'll practice. Keep practicing. Okay. All back right. to back to your notes on on the prologue. Oh, so so one of the themes I have throughout this whole section of chapters and it and it comes up right here in the prologue is this question of we've had this whole day of coat being quoth. Right. We end the book with Bass saying you got to do something to snap this guy out of it. Right. And we jump back into the prologue, and and excuse me, coat is still sitting there like like a lump on a log, just you know, well, was me sad sack kind of quote right. again, you know. And so I guess my question is, with him, you know, having been 
quoth for a day, did anything really change or is, you know, or is he just back to being, you know, a, a mopey old innkeeper? Right. It's He certainly doesn't seem to have woken up any different than he did before. Yeah, correct. Um, something I caught in the prologue that I don't know that I caught before um, was, well, it, I would say the prologue and chapter one. In the prologue, it mentions the silence of a dark-haired man sneaking in. So we, we see Bast is like tiptoeing in through the inn. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, chapter one, when um, uh, Quoth asks him something, kind of an innocence, that just says like, what, what were you up to? And uh, and Bast looks really, oh no, Quoth says, um, I saw what you did last night. And Bast goes, <gasps> Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. looks all guilty and and you know Quoth was talking about him what you know saving them from the skin dancer or whatever yeah and then he's like oh that yeah sure oh yeah. that was nothing I mean whatever so it's like oh he it's like very obvious he's up to something and uh, I don't think I, I caught that many times the you know the couple times I went through before and also I caught that there are, did you notice that he mentions that there are cellus vines behind the inn no. What is it? The Celis flower is the flower that Quoth picked for Denna, if you remember. Oh, okay. When they were having that whole conversation about what flower yeah, she what is flower and blah, she blah, was. blah, blah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so it just, it just was a nice little mention of that. Mm, did not catch that. So, yeah, those are two things that I caught this time through. And um, I thought it was significant, too, in Chapter 1, where um, it, it introduces um, Quoth as the man who called himself Coat. So kind of reminding you again. Yeah. About that whole dynamic that's going on. And it mentions the sword again. Mm-hmm. So you remember, oh, yeah, there's the sword there. It's called Folly. Um, and then we have Graham come in with a with a brass banded barrel. Yeah, so we're in chapter one now. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, we are. Um, so that and I, I just feel like that's going to turn into something, too. Yeah, I noticed like, that as well. Uh, you know, it's another instance of where. It's something to do with elements and wood and metal, and also that coat is asking for it specifically, right? You know, and and we've seen in the past, particularly in the beginning of book one, where when he does that, he's got a reason to do it. It's usually something related to elemental magic or something along those lines of trying to protect everybody, right? So what you know, a brass barrel could potentially be. I don't know. Uh, I have a prediction about it, but I don't, I don't know. So I'll say that for later. Okay. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that um, Graham is talking to and assuming that Coat is old. Like they're, they're kind of commiserating yeah, like a couple yeah. of old men. And then he stops and he says, but wait, you're not old. How old are you? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Quoth just kind of brushes him off. Like I'm, I'm old enough to feel old, you know, or old enough to, to understand what being old is. And, and we've learned that, you know, Quoth has heard this his whole life, that he acts older than he is. You know, now you kind of wonder how old, how old is he at this point? Um, so that's everything I kind of picked up on through, through chapter one. And just thought it was interesting that these, the people in the town who seem to have kept him at a distance, he's lived there for years now, and this is not a part of the world where, newcomers come in and, and are accepted as one of one of the clan. I mean, they're always kind of an outsider. But now we've had a couple of townspeople come to him for reassurance. Correct. Yeah, the only other thing I have in chapter one is 
when those two are talking, Graham starts asking him about, you know, the will and starts going on. Right. Oh, they, you know, he, he kind of explains it in his folksy way. And then for a second there, Coat just kind of starts rambling on all this legal right. stuff. And I just caught that as like, okay, is that just a, like a little bit of a glimpse of Quoth hidden deep beneath the surface, kind of popping out with this typical, you know, know-it-all kind of attitude? Right. You know, is that something that's a positive? Hard to say. Well, I mean, and it just goes to show that whatever... So we saw him try to do sympathy, okay, at the end of the last book, and wasn't able to. So we know that some of his abilities have been lost. Yeah. His whatever, maybe his ability to split his mind or his alar, that part of his mind doesn't seem to to work. But his the knowledge that he has is still there. His intelligence is yeah. still there. He still knows all of this stuff. Well, it's interesting because... And I guess this is where we might have to start looking at Bast and saying, okay, maybe there's something to what Bast is saying here, because in the during the interludes, in the quote present tense, the only time we've seen uh, Coat do anything with sympathy is when Chronicler was really just pounding on him about getting him to, to come out of his shell to write the story. And he shatters that glass. But I'm taking, the more I know, I'm taking that as something that his sleeping mind did. Yes. Not that his active mind did. That's just kind of the take I'm, I'm getting, you know. Um, but again, that you're, you're, to your point about the knowledge, that's true. He hasn't forgotten things. Uh, he still knew what the Skrayel were. He still was smart enough. To, he did a lot of clever things as Coat. Right. You know. Um, so, uh, more to come. Exactly. Um, chapter two is called Holly. And in this, you know, and, and again, like you said, these first couple chapters are just sort of reintroducing you to the characters, reminding you of what's important. But I do think it's interesting what Patrick Rothfuss chooses to highlight. You know, it's kind of like, okay, what's, what's going to be important in this section of the story yeah and i would say this is the chapter that i took the most notes on right chapter it two might be the longest yeah, well one we read i'm not sure that could, yeah, but yeah there's a lot be. that goes on in this chapter yeah. so chronicler gets up and I, I thought it was interesting the juxtaposition of um coat is making a pie okay and he's doing something that seems perfectly ordinary innkeeper-ish right after that he um, is, is talking about the pumice or whatever's left over from the apples. Mm -hmm. And and he says, what is that called? And, and Chronicler says, it's pumice. And you're just kind of reminded that, oh, he, he plays this part so well. But he actually didn't. Even as a child, even before he became, um, you know, both the arcane, he was living in a caravan in a very atypical life. Yeah. So most people in this world would have um, grown up like in a town or a village and, and known a lot of things that he living on the road his whole life wouldn't have known. Yeah. What I picked up about that and what I noticed about that section, and it was one that I took a note on as well, is that he said, you know, it's been, that's been bugging me for two years. Right. So, which leads me to believe he's been doing this for a, 
approximately two years. Right. But the other part of it that I think is more interesting is that here's a guy for whom naming and names is supposed to be this intuitive thing. Mm. He names a horse, you know, just the perfect appropriate thing. Mm -hmm. But yet this very simple thing, he has been racking his brain for two years to come up with the name of it that everybody else already knows. Very interesting. Very astute, Mr. Duke. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never caught that before. So yeah, we get kind of a reminder that he's playing an innkeeper, but he doesn't really, he's just kind of faking it Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. But he makes a mean pie. He makes a mean pie. Mm. And then I love when, when Bast comes in and they have this really great, like, odd couple honeymooners sort of interaction where mm-hmm. he's like, are those my good sheets? Yeah. And Bast is like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any bad sheets? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just thought that that was just kind of cute um, little moment there. And um, so they're making holly, ba- holly crowns. Yeah. Because of this whatever kind of skin body stealing demon that they ran into. And um, I think it's interesting that we get this a little more insight into the world of the Fae. Yeah. Yeah. Here. It sounds to me that we've learned like Fae is a, a, a real place, like a realm with geography. Yeah. Because he mentions like the, I forget, and I forget what exactly what they called that demon, the... The Mael, or... The Mael, yes. Um, he mentions the Mael being as far away from my part of Faye as, as, as you can get. get. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they're East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not... Faye is not some sort of mystical, non, like, ethereal realm. Yeah, no, that's the impression I've gotten as well. Um, and we also learn that, okay, there are different races and he talks about the, I think it's pronounced seed. Okay. The it's spelled S I T H E. Yeah. I wrote that down too. That would be a very like Welsh almost pronunciation. I, I think it's pronounced seed, but any, uh, listeners who have listened to the audiobooks or know better, uh, you know, please chime in and, and let me know because I'd be curious about that. So he talks about the seed um, hunting the skin dancers. So yeah, while wearing holly crowns. Right. Yeah. But apparently this all happened so long ago that nobody even really remembers. Yeah. But what we've learned about the Fae is that, okay, so that they don't all get along. There are different kinds. They don't all get along. And the skin dancers are bad. So he tells us a little more about yeah. what, what they can do to you. Well, yeah, and Chronicler comes down, and, you know, he starts asking questions, and, you know, how do we know it's really dead, and how do we know it didn't slip into somebody else? And <laughs> and Bast, you know, explains to him that, no, it, it's not, you know, this is just going to jump into another body and start killing people. It's not going to sit there and quietly. And it doesn't it, have a long game. You no, know, exactly. It's, it's a, you know, one-track mind, you know. And um, he explains that, but then he takes the opportunity to play a hilarious joke on Chronicler <laughs> where he pretends to be possessed by the, the skin dancer and, you know, lunges at him, causing Chronicler to fall everywhere. No, you know, and then he calls him an ass. And Bast is just cracking up, just finds it mm-hmm. hilarious. And I'm, um, 
you know, I'm reading this the first time and I'm like, damn, he's really being a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just, I mean, given what he said to Chronicler, you know, just the night before, of course, Chronicler's already going to be super nervous around him. Mm-hmm. And then he does that, like, you know, so that's my initial impression of it. But then we get a little, little bit further on and Bass explains, you know, and at, this is after Coat leaves to go in the back to grab something. And Bass is like, yeah, he's starting to come out of his shell. He laughed. It's the first time I've heard him laugh in months, you know. And so still kind of a dick move, but maybe a dick move with a purpose. Like, right. That he really is trying to do everything he can to get his reshi to come out of his shell. Right. And and I think you made a good point before. It does sound like it is starting to work. You know, um, the impression that that we get of Kvothe as Coat early in um, Name of the Wind is that he never talks. And that when he does interject in a, a conversation with the, the townsfolk, they're all surprised. Yeah. So they're used to him just sitting back and talking. And I think it, it seems like, you know, then you look at the interaction with Graham in this book where he's offering legal advice. And, you know, <laughs> so it, it just seems like it's probably working. Yeah. Whatever's going on. Or maybe the 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 conflict with the Scrail and all that could have something to do with it, too. But something something is happening. Yeah, I feel like it's really... I mean, obviously, I think we're going to move forward. And I think he's going to come out of a shell. I don't think that's, you know, a difficult thing to, to predict. But right now, it feels like it's on a knife's edge. Right. Like, it could go either way. Right. Like, at any... You know, and I, I know that's how Patrick Rothfuss wants you to feel. But... Right. You know, that he could say one wrong thing, Coke could kick Chronicler out of the end, it could be all over, and we'll go right back to where we were. And then Aaron comes in. Ah, the Prentice boy. <laughs> and yeah. he uh, he he tells uh, Coate and Chronicler and, and Bass that he's going off and he's thinking about taking the king's coin. So, and what was interesting about this conversation is that we get probably one of the most definitive statements about what is happening in the war, capital W, Yeah, what's going on. Like, we've had hints that there's conflict, the roads are bad, there's a lot of ex-soldiers turned bandit. I mean, so there's chaos in the world. Um, so, but Aaron says, is talking about joining the war, and he says, um, if we can just get the rebels to return and bow to the penitent king, everything will be okay. So that kind of shows you like what's going, like a, a clue about what's going on there. Yeah. And what is the penitent king? We don't know. What does the word penitent mean? Uh, penitent is um, someone who repents. Okay. All right. So that's what I thought it, where I thought it was going, but I wasn't sure if there was another meaning to it. Right. And I, I normally I look those words up in my in my e reader, but for whatever reason I didn't this time. Oh well, then I got to tell you. Yeah. Exactly. So. Made me feel smart. Yeah. Um, so we got that little glimpse of like, okay, what's going on in the war? And um, Quoth tries to tries to convince Aaron to stay. Yeah. And it's very sad. It really was sad. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's kind of, it's couched inside of this comedic moment. Mm-hmm. But it was really quite sad. Very sad. One thing that I have kept, I've actually... 
started a chart on it. I'm not going to read it to you guys, <laughs> but um, I've, I've started keeping notes on every time that um, Quoth's eyes and hair color are described. It's always tied to his emotional state. So if he's happy, excited, like very aroused, it seems like his eyes are described as bright green or his hair is very bright. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this chapter, right after this interaction where Aaron does not believe that he is Quoth, he he acts like he's listening to him and doesn't even believe him for a second, though. It's just like, a good one, Mr. Coat. You know, mm-hmm. ha, ha, ha. Um, Quoth's eyes are described as so dull. They were all so such a dull green. They could almost be mistaken for gray. Yeah, So yeah. that's just an interesting thing to kind of keep an eye out for. Wow. Um, almost like he was resigned to it. Exactly. Or that he was wounded by the kid not believing him. Probably. I mean, probably a little bit of all of that. And I think he probably takes it really, he seems to blame himself for the war. Well, yeah, and that was my last note on this chapter is that, you know, he he says outright that no that all the deaths in this war are on my head. And it goes back to that issue he has where he just has to take responsibility for everything no matter you know sort of like the whole burning down the town of Traven thing that we went back and forth on several episodes ago where he he's like yeah burn down the town of Traven knowing he had nothing to do with burning down the town of Traven uh and he has this tendency to act like everything that's wrong is because he failed to make it perfect now, we don't really know what happened, so it could very well be that he's right and literally the entire war is because of something stupid he did. But I tend to think it's another... It's all right. You get that wedgie. <laughs> um, I tend to think it's another issue of, of him just taking on more responsibility than he really should. We'll see. Yeah, you know, I think that it really... It's consistent with his character and that we've talked about him being a control freak and a perfectionist and really um, probably a result of the trauma in his early childhood of really needing to be in control of everything. People who struggle with that tend to want to take responsibility for everything because it's easier than admitting that they have no control over a situation. So if they want to, they can tell themselves that everything is their fault. It's easier than saying, well, I, something bad happened and I, I couldn't, ha- I could, didn't have any control over yeah. it, you know? And I think that's just an interesting way that his character is consistent. Um, and I thought it was interesting too, that it, Aaron doesn't just kind of laugh him off and then leave. He mentions also that his mother and his girlfriend, Rose, both were trying to lie to him, too. You know, my mother said she had consumption and Rose tells me she's pregnant. Ha ha, you bunch of liars. So it just shows you that he's not, you know, we assume that people's reactions are all about us and what we're doing. And you can see that. Quoth assumes that as well. So he assumes Aaron doesn't believe me because I'm I'm a failure and I'm the worst and I couldn't do anything. But really, Aaron doesn't believe Quoth because of 
because of Aaron. Yeah. Because Aaron wants to leave. And he's found a solution. Yeah. He doesn't want, he's not going to believe anyone who throws anything at him to get him to stay. Yeah. If his mother says, I have the consumption and that's not enough to get him to stay, then right. y- you ain't got a prayer. Right. Your girlfriend's pregnant, you know, and you're still going to go. But yeah. But you can see that that Quoth has taken responsibility for it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's all because I wasn't good enough to convince him to stay. Yep. Um, and and he, I think he flat out says that. Um, I thought I could save one, but it turns out I'm not even able to do that. Yeah, he's he's a real he's a real sad sack. He really is. Yep. Poor sad sack. Mm, poor right, sad so sack. What do you uh, what do you have written down in chapter four? What did you what were your or thoughts chapter there? three? I'm sorry, we were in chapter, chapter three. Yes. Yep. So chapter three is when we get back into the story. Right. So we're back now at the university. It's uh, We're back in Imre, and it's the beginning of the next term, and they're talking about getting ready for the interviews for the term, and they're going actually to go pick their spots. You know, they get these chits that kind of tell right. them where they're going to be. And so they, they're standing in line, and Fela comes back and wants to talk uh, to Quoth while he's in line. And they go back and forth for a little while, uh, get into a conversation about Elodin. And it turns out that Elodin has a class, but he did not invite Quoth into that class. And Quoth is a little taken aback by it. And then Fella goes off and has to do the stuff that she has to do. And he talks to uh, Will for a while, who gives him a hard time about, you know, not hitting on uh, Fela. And they they exchange their slots. And that's pretty much the entirety of Chapter 3. Right. So we're kind of introduced to a couple of Quill's friends. And we, we're reminded that um, there aren't a lot of chicks at the university. We're reminded that... Um, that- yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of um, heads turning everywhere Fela went. He just commented, like, on you know, everybody just... St- you know, staring at her intently. Right. And, uh, and we, we again, it's very obvious that, that Fela has the hots for him and that he has no idea. He's like, what? No. So I have a question about this. Okay. So, and this just came to me, but is Fela hot because she's really a hot chick or is Fela hot because she's one of only like 10 women at the university? Um, now, now I, here's the other side of it is that I haven't seen a female character yet who wasn't described as being beautiful. Yes. So, you know, I don't remember the, the wagon master's wife, Rita, Rena, Rena, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember anything about her specifically, but pretty much since we've been, you know, since we've been at the university, they're all beautiful. Is that because he's 16 years old and he has raging hormones? (laughs) Is that because there's very few women or is this university just like university of arithmetic and sympathy and artificing and modeling hotness? Yeah. (laughs) I mean... They all have perfect ears. <laughs> well, you know, that that's an interesting question. Um, in the last book, Bast does mention when they first start talking about Denna, well, all the women in your story in your stories are beautiful, Rashi. 
you know. Yeah, so that's a good point. Yeah. He points that out. And there's speculation, uh, I think, among readers of this book about how reliable a narrator is Quoth. You know, well, yeah, um, I, and we've talked about that, and I think we feel like he's not super reliable. We have. Well, we're we're getting his perception of how things happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that being said, I would say that when you compare the way that he describes um, Fella with, say, Mola or Devi, mm-hmm. um, Fella is overwhelmingly more often described as beautiful. I, I would agree with you. I mean, he describes Mola at, he describes her hair color. Think of how he describes Ari. Mm-hmm. You know, he describes her hair and her, you know, and, and Debbie's described as like pixie-ish and, and mm-hmm. cute, but it's not like, like strikingly beautiful. Yeah, with Fela, that's, and, and the, the other part of with Fela is that you see it in everybody. You see other characters react yeah. to her as so well. Exactly. So it's not just what he's telling you. Yeah. Yep. You know. Well, that's not true because he is the one laying the groundwork but i guess the point being he shows it right in other things but it's not as though he's incapable of being unreliable in this scenario because he's still the one ultimately who's the narrator right so that was kind of it uh for chapter three anything else for that one well and and i i also thought the at the end there's an interaction with um and willem where they're bartering a little bit yeah for this chit and it's also highlighted very strongly that Quoth is broke. Yes. He is broke as Real hell. Real broke. Real broke. No money. Down to the so felt. It, you can tell he has got he's got a constant tally in his head of how much money he has. And so everything he spends or earns, he's like one talent and three, one talent and four. Like it's just always there present in his mind. So he's really just kind of going through and scrambling and trying to figure out how he's going to pay for his admissions. Yeah, and that leads us into chapter four, where it, we really continue down that road. Uh, and in chapter four, Quoth uh, goes to the fishery to, to attempt to make some money. So he goes in there, he starts talking about, all right, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? You know, how am I gonna make money, and how am I gonna make it quickly? So he goes through and tries to figure out what he needs to make, and he and he does, and. Um, this is where he attempts to make, is it here? I might be getting a little confused on the timeline, but here attempt, he attempts to make some yellow emitters, and then in the process he almost uh, almost burns the hell out of himself or gets himself some real dangerous chemicals. Or Yes, I believe that is this chapter. Okay. And then he, you know, he gets in a dangerous situation and kind of backs out of it and says, oh, it's not that important. And then he also um, he cleans up and goes back to anchors where he gets some food and then he takes that food and then he and Ari go out and kind of have a dinner together. She takes him down into the under thing and they, you know, they dine, they have their cute little meal and they tell their, they tell their adorable stories to each other about the things that they brought. It's a lettuce that thinks it's a lettuce. That was pretty clever. Yeah. So cute. Right. Well, at least it knows what it is. She was, lettuce you just you don't ever see this character it's so nice that you know you have this character with some pretty glaring flaws who's not always nice but with this one person he is always completely selfless you know um i i love how he lets her set the tone for pretty much 
all of these interactions that they have. So he'll say, what have you brought me? And so when she says, oh, it's, it's um, a lettuce that thinks it's a lettuce, but it's a apple that thinks it's a pear. He riffs off of what, what she puts out there. Yeah. You know, it's all about making her more comfortable. Um, and yeah. I just think that's interesting. Well, and you can see in quotes behavior around people who are innocent, for lack of a better word, you know, young people, Ori, et cetera. That's really where the, kind of the nice side the, the, the comes out of him, you know, and the good part of him comes out, you know, the, the little right. girl in the town and, right. and all of that. So if you're a bully, if you're snotty, if you're capable, he's probably not going to be super nice to you. But if you're innocent, young, small, if you have a problem, you know, if you're cracked, whatever it is, he tends to treat those people with respect. Right. Just a character trait. Yeah, it is. And I think it's an important one. So they have their meeting and then he goes into the archives to study. And we don't really get into that. We jump uh, directly into chapter five. And chap- and so chapters three and four were, were quite uh, quite short. Right. Chapter five is a little bit of a longer one. Well, and like one or two more things I picked up in chapter four was um, what stuck out to me was, okay, so he's been going to the archives. He's kind of an old hand at getting in there now. He's got a, a spare set of clothes that he keeps by the tunnels that he can change into. He's like, you know, um, he, he's obviously been doing this for quite a bit. And also, um, we see on page 33, what really stuck out to me is he says, um, he gives her the potatoes and he says, I'm sorry, but they're cold and, or I'm afraid that they're cold. And she reaches out and touches him and says, don't be afraid. I'm here. So that I thought, just thought that was very interesting because we've never seen her act that way towards him in a protective manner. Mm -mm, No. Yeah. I caught that. I caught that as well. So chapter five, he he talks about this is sort of his last ditch effort at making money, and that is to go to the Aeolian. And so he goes into the Aeolian, and it's Will and Sims and Manette. Manet, I think. I think it's Manet. It's Manette. Is it? Yep. No, it's not. It is. Really? How do you know? According to P. Roth. How, how do you know these things? Because I listen to interviews. Oh, wow. It's Manette. You're so dedicated. And disciplined. And I have a lot of time in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Manette, I have to change my, my whole. I have to change my whole world now. I know he. He's. It's not, been Manet in my head. He's not an old Frenchman. He's not an old Frenchman. <sighs> I had him smoking clove cigarettes. <laughs> <sighs> bitching about the Chardonnay. <laughs> the Chardonnay. All right, Manette. It Manette. makes my ass twitch. It makes my ass twitch. <laughs> <laughs> This weak Chardonnay. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt a French accent because I can't do it. But I could try it, but you know what it would do? It would make your ass twitch. <laughs> I think it just did. I'm sorry. <laughs> it might just be the wedgie I keep getting over here. It could be that. Could be that. <laughs> sorry, it's a hazard of podcasting. <laughs> they don't tell you about that in podcasting. They don't schools. tell you. <laughs> so. Um, so the uh, so uh, Manette, Will, and Sims they go and they play corners there and and they hang out and it's interesting because Manette is the is kind of um, he's the newbie right 
And so he's sort of like almost like the um, the audience surrogate in that scenario where they're, you know, particularly if you haven't read the first book, which I can't imagine why you would read the second if you haven't read the first. But people do that apparently. What? I know. It's crazy. That is crazy. So Manette's sort of the, the audience surrogate, and they go through, and they're having to kind of explain everything to, right. to him. Uh, there's a new person at the door who doesn't recognize Quoth, but Mar- or Marie vouches for him. They go in. They watch a lot of people play. They start drinking. They keep asking uh, Quoth if he's going to play Jackass Jackass, and he keeps saying no. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that song. That's going to be fun. Life. It's going to be fun. So he says to him, he says, well, you know what? Okay, here's what I'll do. I'll see if Threp is here. And if he's here, maybe I'll convince him to play it. Right. But really, that's just an excuse for him to get up and, and go look for Denna. Blah, blah, blah. So he get. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm good. It's fine. What did Denna ever do to you? Nothing. I can't I can't explain it. Just every time she's in the book, my something inside me just goes, ugh. Okay, so he goes around looking for Denna, and he finds uh, he finds Denna with Lord Lanternjaw. Lord Lanternjaw. Uh, I think that's not that's not exactly what he calls him, but but she finds him with another you know guy. I, I picture him as being six foot four, wearing a lot of Eddie Bauer, and um, right. And I think Quoth is particularly jealous in this instance because you know not only is he tall and beautiful and all that jazz. But um, he's got this great voice, and apparently he's a musician as well. Right. And he's coming to he's coming there to get his his talent pipes. So now Quoth is really feeling threatened. Right. You know, not you know he's rich, he's good looking, and he says even he's like it's not fair that someone should have you know they should have it all to be rich and good looking. Right. And talented too. That's crazy. That's just too much. You know. I think and, he's played by Manu Bennett. No way. No. No way. No. No. Okay. No. I don't have I don't have a good alternative yet. Well, you better come up with one. I'll You're have just to. gonna throw down like that. <laughs> just reject. I'm just gonna be a naysayer and okay, bring nothing positive naysayer. to there it. There you go. Sorry. It's not gonna fly. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll step it up next time. <laughs> I'll have to do better next time. So uh he he talks with Denna and the conversation they have is really pretty pointless right and this was to me you know just another one of these perplexing things about their relationship right all these things that it seemed like maybe they could go somewhere and they don't Mm -hmm. and that's this in this uh, little scenario i'm gonna i'm gonna relay so she walks off and it's very clear that she deliberately drops an earring right right there and then walks off with him. Quoth notices it, and then she comes back, you know, a minute or two later, going, "Oh, Quoth, I've lost my earring. Could you help me look for it?" And so that's a very clever way to show how both of them are very perceptive and slick, and how they've got these, you know, little kind of codes, and how they can kind of talk to one another, and just shows how street smart they are. And so they get this opportunity to steal just a little few seconds of privacy when they're looking for this earring together. So you would think, given all the posturing around that and and the need to do it, that something of importance or note would have been said in the conversation. 
And yet, no. It's just no. another vapid, pointless conversation between the two of them that doesn't go anywhere. Yep. So that was frustrating. I mean, is that like real life, though? You know, like, think about being in in, in college or high school and, like, you have a crush on someone and you just kind of go to parties or go to the bar just hoping they'll be there and then you just keep talking to them and I don't know. You get your opportunity to say something clever and you can't do it. Right. So, yeah, it is. Here's the problem I have with that, though, is, and it it goes to everything in this book, which... A book I enjoy, by the way. But I get that Patrick Rothfuss wants to have the book more resemble real life and less resemble these tight narrative arcs where everything has its purpose. And every single word is sort of relevant to the end, you know, the end game. You know, that in real life, things don't work that way. We do things that don't amount to anything. You know, opportunities come up where you think we're going to shine and we don't. You know, life is, you know, filled with nothing but red herrings. It doesn't resemble a narrative. So I respect that he wants to do that. But I think there's some area where he's got to be a little careful because ultimately real life is boring. And it's we read stories because they aren't and because they do have a narrative arc. And because things do go somewhere. It's just a balancing act that I think he's going to have to be very careful about. Maybe it's just that my real life is super boring. And so this <laughs> seems interesting in comparison. <laughs> that is a very distinct possibility. Uh, I... <laughs> I mean, no offense. The part of my life with you in it is the most interesting part. Oh, thank you. I appreciate but the rest that. of it is... Hella boring sometimes. <laughs> I mean, there are other books to read. <laughs> so I've read them all. Yeah, that's a good point. That's good. But this is your favorite. This is my favorite. I don't know. So, um, yeah, that was just a frustrating scene to me. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for me, that's, and we've talked about this before. I mean, we've talked it to death probably, but that's part of my frustration with the character is it feels like, Every scene is like, ugh, I know what's going to happen in this scene, you know? And for me, it's a little, and I, and again, this is a a difference that we have with, um, you know, Song of Ice and Fire books is like, I feel like the brand chapters for a huge chunk of those books were like, oh, I know what's going to happen here. He's going to walk around in the snow some more and be blind or whatever lame and stuff you're getting your starks mixed up i am getting my starks mixed up but you know what i'm saying i know what you're saying like all right there's some frog people and he's getting dragged around again oh you know another chapter but i I would juxtapose it in this way in that one of the things that i love about a song of ice and fire is that there truly are almost no throwaway comments Mm -hmm. or anecdotes and that there's kind of a double-edged sword to it because almost anything that's written in that book comes back around somewhere or it relates to something else or it builds on, you know, like something comes up in a brand chapter that 
becomes relevant to somebody talking about the dance of the dragons, you know, three books later, like, you know, everything kind of builds on it. And in this book, there's a lot of things that don't go anywhere. That's refreshing in some ways, because it means that you can't latch on to everything and say, oh, that's going to be important. File it away. If you do, you're going to end up like me being really frustrated that he didn't actually burn down the town of Traven. You know, I'm going, what the hell's going on? You know, like, so it's refreshing that it's different. And I, and I like that. Um, but I think there's a balancing act there where you could really go too far down the trying to be realistic route and really become a lot less interesting. But well, and I think, though, it comes down to is it a plot driven story or a character driven story? So for me, I don't see and and to be fair, we don't know what interactions are going to play out it, as far as being relevant to the plot in the long run no. of this series. True. However, I don't see any interactions or mini arcs as being thrown away because it's all about these interesting characters. And so I see them, even if they're not plot building, they're character building. No, that's accurate. Yeah. I would and agree so with that. I like, you know, reading a story and thinking about people. Well, you know, I just like thinking about people in general. What what makes people tick? I like studying that. I like thinking about it. And so when it's I... It's a heart. It's more than that. <laughs> I mean, we can get into it, but... <laughs> I was just being an asshole. You said what makes it tick, and I thought... You know, Got you. Yeah. Got you. That could have worked. I do that sometimes. That, I know. Hold on. Do it again. What makes, what makes them tick? It's a heart. That's a little better. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'll practice this week. Okay. <laughs> you got to practice it holding it with one hand up to a microphone <laughs> using your other hand. They probably have an app on my phone I could get that would do uh, well, it a lot better. Oh, they definitely do. <laughs> anyway, I enjoy character-driven novels because I like thinking about people. I like thinking about characters. And I love characters that are written consistently. You know, um, they don't just do things because the author has a plot in mind and he wants to move that plot along. It's more about who is this person and where do I want, how do I want them to develop? I'm with you. I'd like for Quoth and Denna to be a little less consistent and actually... (laughs) <laughs> actually, actually do stop that. being dumbasses oh, all the time. I'm 100% with you. It's it's definitely frustrating. <laughs> That's a, definitely a frustrating part of the book. So, um, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? But who, who I love in this chapter is Manette, although I don't think I can call him that. Manette. In my head, he's going to be Manet. I'm sorry. Um, But I just love this character. I think he's so funny. He is. And um, the fact that he, he does come in, and I, I love your comment about him being kind of the audience stand in um, because you do need to, you know, even if someone has maybe read the first book that they may not have read it for some time and not want to reread it. So you need kind of this little bit of refresher about what's really important. And that's, that was a really good tool. You're not just throwing in some random person. Here's a character that they obviously hang out with, but he's never been here before. But at the same time, he's like, it's just also reinforced that like he's an adult and they're all, Children. Pretty much still kids, <laughs> yeah, teenagers, yeah. you yeah. know? And he's just kind of like, man, I, I'm, I'm not a barbarian. Like, I'm, yeah. he's yeah. like, don't talk during the songs, man. And he's like, dude, <laughs> I'm 50. 
I get it. I'm an old man. You really don't have to tell me, you know. Well, and then he schools them on the tuitions. Right. And, you know, why Quoth is really going to get hammered, you know. Right. So, you know, it just kind of shows his kind of world, uh, worldliness that, that right. they don't have. Right. Uh, and then, really, we end with um, with Quoth going up. To, and why can I never remember this character's name? The guy who runs the music. Staunchin? Staunchin, okay. So they go up to him and Quoth says, I'm going to play. What are you going to play? Oh, I'm going to surprise you. Oh, great. I love surprises. And we're going to get to the rest of that in the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of where we end. Yeah. um, It's interesting because we ended our podcast last week. I stayed up till 2.30 in the morning, which was incredibly unwise, um, reading the first 15 chapters. And um, and then I didn't pick it up again until today when I was preparing for the podcast. So I kept thinking we were going to talk about all these things that happened like oh. later on. Like, oh, I can't wait to see what he thought of this part. That was so funny. And this and that happens. And, and then I like got to the end of chapter five and I was like, oh. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> I know. I mean, well, I, we managed to talk for an hour anyway. Something to talk about. But, so. um, but yeah, I'm really excited for next week. As am I. As am I. All right. So that is all that we have for the actual Book chapter. Chapter summaries. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, predictions? Predict it up, baby. You got any predictions? Um, I have a hard time predicting because I don't want to spoil anything. No, that that's fair, and I don't I don't want you to either. But I I don't want to leave you out. I All right. That. So I said there was a prediction about the brass barrel. So completely harebrained, but I'm thinking that he's going to use the brass barrels to contain. Some sort of scrailing monster, male, fail, fay creature of some kind. No idea if that's accurate. Didn't he put apples in the barrels? He said he put apples in barrels. Didn't say it was those barrels. Okay, all right. That's a that's a good thought. Yeah, my my thought is that there's no way in hell that's true, but but it did cross my mind, and. I believe, I don't know if we've actually said this one. If we haven't said it, or if, if we did say it, I never wrote it down. But my other prediction is that Denna is not her real name. I feel like we've said that before, but I never wrote it Yes. No, I, I, I think down. we have. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I think I think that's probably a pretty solid assumption. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. So I'm getting that down for posterity. All right. I need that. I need points for that. They're all some version of, um, well, it's interesting because they're all some some version that sounds similar to Diane. Yeah. Deanne, Deanne, Denna. Yeah. And um, she's also, another list, running list I have is the number of times that Denna is compared to the moon. So some people feel like that's significant because hmm. she's always disappearing and, go- I mean, she's coming and going. She and- only shows up once a month. Some people get real bitchy when she's around. Yeah, it was not where I w- <laughs> was intending to go, but <laughs> but somehow it went there. 
All right, so that's really all I have for predictions. You know, we're we're just kind of so early in this particular book, so there's not not a whole lot there. Um, I do want to talk one piece of fandom news, and that is, and, and you're not familiar, you're not familiar with Stranger Things, because no, I can't watch that show. Yeah, it's too scary. I understand that. So, which is sad because it's a great show. I know, and I I wish I could watch great shows, but. If it's scary, I can't watch it. No, it's you, scary enough in my brain without you, <laughs> external scary stimuli. Hey, you you know you. I'm not gonna. Well, you know me. I do too. Yeah. Um, do you want to sleep next to me after we watch Stranger Things together? Sure, that's fine. <laughs> no, you don't. That's completely fine. <laughs> I I thought it would be hilarious if if we somehow devised some sort of contest. Where and and we made like special episodes where like you watch Stranger Things and I recorded you watching it. I'm just saying, if you want to stay up all night with me, <laughs> three nights, Chad, did you hear that? Well, I didn't. We, we're not, something downstairs. We're not. Do, we're not doing it. <laughs> you go check for me. So I thought better of it. Every um, two hours. <laughs> so the reason I bring up Stranger Things is because they released a VHS cassette tape of their show and they released their soundtrack on a cassette that's awesome yeah just to be retro because that's when the you know that's when the show takes place so i thought that was kind of cute and um we have a little bit of uh, listener interaction and one thing i want to talk about is itunes reviews and we have itunes reviews Sorry, I'm struggling here with my computer. We have not one, but two iTunes reviews. <laughs> We've made the big time. Hold on. <laughs> oh, we are way too amused by ourselves. All right, so. <laughs> we might be back down to one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So the first one is from Lumen2222, and it says, uh, Perceptive and refreshing. The podcast is a welcome relief to the culture of cynical sound bites, a relaxed deep dive into a book by two charming and thoughtful readers. I recommend it to any fan of the current books as, uh, excuse me, the current book they are reading is The Name of the Wind, but also to aspiring writers particularly in the genre of sci-fi and fantasy. It's an opportunity to listen to smart fans get deep into the weeds with a book they enjoy and offer some great insights to how friendly readers connect to the story. It's also just a darn pleasant listen, as the hosts are very likable and entertaining to listen to. I don't do well with compliments. (laughs) Makes you want to cry, doesn't it? It I like if it's, I was a superhero, compliments would be my fatal flaw. That would be my weakness, my kryptonite. I just get I get all red. You can't tell on a podcast, but I am. I'm very I red right tell. now. I can tell. And the next one is from somebody who has the best iTunes handle I've ever ever heard. Tell me. It's uh Dr. Duncan Stein Swagger. Nice. <laughs> well, that is solid. <laughs> that is Solid. I'm jealous of that. Right. <laughs> it says, great podcast. The one host has read it before and one has it works really well. And then it says, listen to episode zero in mono, which is true because we recorded that in stereo. And for some people, that is very annoying. Gotcha. I don't know what you're talking That's about. That's fine. Yeah. At all. That's your job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just look that. cute over here. <laughs> you do. You do. 
and um, a couple of other pieces of interaction. So give me one second here. You would think I would have all this stuff ready to go, but I'm a slacker. Hold on. I'll drum solo. <laughs> I was just going to take out the long pause, but. Man, I'm getting good at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just going to... Okay, whatever. We do not edit. Come on. <laughs> ah, you're right. We're not taking anything out, are we? <laughs> All right, so um, we had a tweet from Wolfman who liked the uh, You Enjoy Myself reference that I dropped in the podcast. Man, Twitter likes your references. They do. Uh, Wolfman is at DJ Wolfman. Uh, DJ W-O-L-F-M-A-N-N. Hey, Wolfman. That's right. All right. So that's all I got. Awesome. Good what podcast. Quality. Quality. Always. Always. We are nothing if not professional. Super professional. All right, so, I mean, you can tell by the um, all the tight musical bumpers that we dropped in there. The, <laughs> the rim say, shots. You can tell because you keep talking about my wedgies. <laughs> they, this is exactly what they do on, uh, on all the big radio stations too, right? <laughs> if you were listening to like an NPR-produced podcast, you would not get the kind of wedgie content that you get from the Duke and Duchess podcast. <laughs> all right, so where can you find us? You always say this to me, but you have the paper in front of you. I don't know. I don't remember. I have a total mental block. And that's why it's funny. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) That's why I'm going to keep doing it. All right. So you can find us at thedukeandduchesspodcast.com. That's our website. And also on Twitter at the DND podcast. Okay. And on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Yes, all yep. of those things. And those are the best we'll ways. We'll see you there. Yes, you will. And those are the best ways to get in touch with us. And we love it. We love you guys. And we're getting, um, we're starting to get more interaction from listeners and starting to get more listeners and more people. And uh, we think you guys must be great because you clearly have great taste in podcasts. So so reach out to us and talk to us and, and, um, and hang out with us on the social media because we enjoy your company and we want to hear from you. Right? I think you're cute. We do. In like a 17-year-old way where it's like, it's really fun and flirtatious, but it's not ultimately going to go anywhere in that sort of way. Yep. <laughs> it was a Denna reference. Anyway. It's not going anywhere. That reference is not going anywhere. Just like Denna and Just like Denna and It's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's not going oh. anywhere. Oh, should we tell them about the um, new content on the blog or... Should we have just, if you haven't checked it out, um, we're starting a new um, sort of reoccurring segment on the blog wherein I um, recap important thematic elements of the books by drawing stick figures. It's pretty, <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. I'm yeah, not going to lie. Very... I'm pretty good at drawing stick figures. I've always been told that since I was like five or six that like my stick figures were pretty epic. So we've started doing these little cartoons and so. Check it out on the blog. They're fun. But don't compliment me about it too much because I get like all verklempt about it when people <laughs> compliment me. So, All right, fantastic. Can we stop talking now? Yeah, we're really, we're really, done. really droning on. We're done. So if you like the podcast, tell a friend. 
Mm -hmm. And next time, we'll again, just a reminder, we will be covering chapter 6 through 10. And have a great evening. Good night. Good night. We cut nothing. We do not edit.